with a practical aspect of the grace of God, here's Pastor Ed Ray. It is power to live the way God wants us to live. Now, we don't normally think of the word grace as something to do with strength and power. In fact, it's kind of a passive concept for a lot of people, not so for the Apostle Paul. Grace is an endowment, is a giving of power to accomplish things for God with your life. You get more of it when you ask. How much more is given to them that ask? Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Most recognize grace is given by God for salvation, but it's also given for sanctification and service. To discover we can pray for and receive more grace is an exciting truth to be explored. And we'll do just that today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've come in our study of 2 Timothy to chapter 2. And it's there we're given six word pictures that help to illustrate how Timothy was to serve the Lord. Strengthened by the grace of God, with the grace of God, beginning by reading this very practical scripture, here's Pastor Ed. Working our way through scripture verse by verse, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, the first seven verses. Paul writes, You, therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us now, that your word would be applied to our own lives this day and in the future. Speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading a letter written from prison to a young man. One of the police officers in our fellowship sent me this story, and it's entitled, How to Get Things Done While in Prison. It seems an old man lived alone in the countryside. It was spring, and he wanted to plant his tomato garden. But it was very hard work as the ground was hard, and his only son, Vincent, who used to help him, had gotten into trouble with the law and was in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son and described his predicament. Dear Vincent, I am feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. If you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would dig the plot for me. Love, pop. A few days later, he received a letter from his son from prison. Dear Pop, don't do anything. Whatever you do, don't dig up that garden. That's where I buried the bodies. <laughs> Love, any. 
At 4 a.m. the next morning, a huge group of FBI agents and local police showed up and began digging up the entire garden in the back of the old man's house. They worked for hours but didn't find any bodies. <laughs> Wiping the sweat from their brow, they apologized, cleaned everything up, and left. The same day, the old man received another letter from his son, Vinny. Dear Pop, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. <laughs> So the Apostle Paul is writing from prison, and he is being very helpful to a young man who's struggling several hundred miles away in the city of Ephesus. It is the capital city of Asia, and he is in his first pastorate. He's a new pastor all alone in a very large city, and he's being discouraged by all the suffering, the persecution that's going on by this time, Nero is the emperor in persecuting Christians. So Paul has been challenging him in the first letter and now in the second letter to encourage and, and hang in there. Uh, as in chapter 1, verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is within you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In verse 13, hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you have received from me. So, Paul is in this mode of continuing to mentor, even though he's in prison, he's encouraging someone who is, quote, free. He employs in this section a lot of metaphors, a lot of pictures. He's telling parables, really, short, pithy ones. And he learned it, of course, from the master teacher, Jesus. Jesus spoke of pictures, consider the birds, consider the flowers. A man went out sowing and he cast seed on four different kinds of ground. And there was a woman who, who lost a coin and there was a father who lost a son and, and all these word stories that have great spiritual truths behind them. Well, that's what Paul is doing here with Timothy and he gives him a collection of six different concepts, six different patterns, different things he was supposed to be. In the first verse, he says a son, or literally it says a child. Timothy and a child of God, and you'll see the connection that works for you and me just as well as it does for Timothy. The second verse, steward, one who takes care of somebody else's important valuables. Soldier, three and four, we know about that. Verse five, athletics, the discipline that it takes. Verse six, the farmer, and the patience that it takes for things that are planted. And then verse 7, he challenges us, all of us to think, to look for truth. So let's jump in, see what God might say to you and me. He's been speaking to me all week. I'm sure he'll do the same for you. Verse 1, you, therefore, my son, the word is tekton, which is literally child. And uh, it works for you ladies as well as uh, for men and boys. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's a very interesting use of the word grace. First of all, he says a son or a child, more literally, and that makes him a child of Paul, but also a child of God. He says in Christ Jesus. It's all together in the Greek language. Be strong in by means of grace. He's talking about this subject that we've talked about several times because Paul used the word 130 times in his letters. 
this idea of a gift from God, charis in the Greek language. It's something that we do not deserve, that's unmerited. Salvation comes that way, but it's favor, literally, with God, that you have favor with God. I have favor with God because I responded to his wooing, to him drawing you and I to him. We can't take any credit for it. We didn't merit it. We didn't earn it. It was something he gives freely to us, and he is ready to give it to you again more, even here this morning. It is power to live the way God wants us to live. Now, we don't normally think of the word grace as something to do with strength and power. In fact, it's kind of a passive concept for a lot of people, not so for the Apostle Paul. Grace is an endowment, is a giving of power to accomplish things for God with your life. You get more of it when you ask. How much more is given to them that ask? So it's a concept that is critical to understanding salvation, first of all, but then secondly, the trip, the journey along the way. Uh, speaking to a young man a little while back, a few days ago, and he was struggling with surrendering to God, with giving his life to Jesus Christ. And he said to me, I'd like to become a Christian, but I'm afraid I can't live it. And I said, you're absolutely right. You can't on your own without the gift of grace of God. And if you try, you'll be nothing but frustrated. And in fact, I would dare say that history for the last 2,000 years is strewn with people who tried to please God based on their own power, based upon their own way of interpreting God, His Word and what He wants. When we surrender, give up control, which none of us like to do. You know, I want to ask for a show of hands, but the truth is every person in this room is a control freak, myself included. And we don't like other people to tell us what to do or to make us do things that we don't feel like doing, right? And it starts about two weeks old, and it continues <laughs> right on up to this morning, right? So. We talked about, this young man and I talked about, this concept of a gift from God. That's literally what the word is. Charis means a gift from God. This grace and how it is the way to get into the kingdom of God. God, I don't deserve it. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I come with empty hands. I have nothing to give you but my life. I don't know why you'd want it. No one in their right mind would take it, the mess I've made of it, or how else you would say it. But then God gives you salvation, a gift of grace, and puts his Holy Spirit inside you. Most of you understand that. But what Paul is getting to here is the next step. You see, grace is more than just the ticket into the kingdom of God. It's fuel for the journey. It's something that you and I need to keep looking for, asking for. It, it actually has to do with a balance in life. Just a quick time out to thank you for listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Pastor Ed is emphasizing the grace of God that's essential to begin the Christian life and to have balance in the Christian life. Pastor Ed continues now in 2 Timothy chapter 2 with more on how grace provides balance. When we press too hard, we are frustrated. Let me use a musical illustration. We have gifted bass player and drummer here this morning, both of them very, very good. 
Music works, particularly the kind of music we worship with around here, when the right foot of the drummer on the bass drum hits at exactly the same time that the bass player is playing. Now you're gonna listen to it and go, hey, that's, that's good. But you don't have to understand that to appreciate when they found the groove, as musicians call it. Some of you are musicians, you understand this. But it is something that happens, lines up, locks up, there's a lot of words for it, it's a sweet spot, but the music works and you tap your foot with it and the rest of the band and everyone singing is locked in. If you try too hard, it'll blow up. If you try and stress to make it, you can't get there. If you relax too much, you never find it. But it's a balance between things that you want to do and things that you're supposed to do, and it comes out into this rhythm, this unforced rhythm that God gives to people in their lives too. Okay, so grace is this gift of God that allows you to find the groove, the sweet spot, the place that you're supposed to be in your walk without stressing too hard, I blew it again, Lord, or saying, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Unforced rhythm of grace is what Paul is talking about. Timothy needs to embrace more and take more into his life. He said, you are my child. You are a child of the king. You are a child of God. All of that true for you because you and I are indirectly down the road from Paul. We're learning from what he wrote. So you and I have the same advantage that Timothy does. Timothy has a little bit better one because he knew him personally. But all the truths that he learned from Paul, Paul learned from Jesus and it's all directed towards this word grace. Someone said, be self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Not being self-sufficient in your own power, but in what God is giving to you, and keep asking for more. That's the picture here. Be strong in the grace. Grace from this source, the grace in Jesus. Being a Christian means salvation, but living by grace. Again, not just the ticket into the kingdom, but the fuel for the journey. And we're to get more. James 4, 6. He gives more grace. There's more available. It is unlimited grace. You can't exhaust what God has. There's a huge quantity in him, and it's being poured out. Abounding is the word. In fact, John said of Jesus, the word came, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and he gave us grace upon grace, more grace for you. I, I'm trying to convince you that it's there, and you need to ask for it every single day of your life, more of it. Lord, I need it for the journey. I don't deserve it, but you want to give it. Thank you. I am a child of yours. First illustration, first picture, a child. Secondly, a steward, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, people, who will be able to teach others also. Living Bible, you have heard me teach many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who are able to pass them on to others. This is a command to Timothy, and it's very much a command to you, to me. Things that you have 
heard, be a good steward of. Now, that's not a term we use very much today, but Jesus used it a lot. It was a very common term in that day. Someone, quote, who manages the property, finances, or household of another. An apartment manager is a steward. The person that takes care of the apartments, you knock a hole in the wall, they keep the place up, the faucets, etc. But it's of anything of value. You and I are a steward of the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came and died for everyone. God would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's a treasure, something of unatowable value for every person on the planet. So commit these things to people, trustworthy people, faithful people. Timothy, you're a faithful teacher. You've been doing it. You've been standing up under six or seven years of Roman opposition in the city of Ephesus, and that qualifies you as being faithful. Now take what you've heard from me and give it to people who are like-minded, who are faithful. This is a very interesting verse to me because what it says is not give it to people who are the most qualified, not to the most beautiful people, the most educated, even the most articulate teacher. In fact, the experts think it should be translated, the Greek, commit these things to faithful people, these will be enough to teach others. It's not that he's saying that they'll receive a gift, it's that they'll be faithful to do it. In other words, said a more direct way, I don't care how good a teacher you are, if you're not living it, no one's going to believe it. I've seen it happen in secular schools. I see it with parents. I see it with grandparents. If you're really gifted at teaching, but it's not reality in your life, it nullifies everything. A little convicting, I know. But it's true for all of us. No faithfulness in a person's life, being a good teacher is worthless is what it comes down to. Now, Paul is laying on Timothy the responsibility of passing on the gospel, the good news, that he has entrusted it to Timothy, and Timothy is to be part of a chain that goes down through history. And very much it has happened that you can look back at the people that spoke into your life, that brought you to the Lord. 99% of us in this room are believers, and someone poured themselves. They were good stewards of the truth that they had received. I know the people that poured into my life as a, as a young man, as a, a, a young believer, men and women who, and I know some of their background and how they had people in front of them that had taught them that were indirectly teaching me because of it. So we got Jesus teaching Paul, Paul teaching Timothy, and Timothy all the way down to the person that shared with you, that taught you. I had the privilege of sitting under some amazing teachers when we were in Switzerland, Francis Schaeffer, and I know his background, and it's amazing. Campbell McAlpine, part of the Welsh revival. He was an old man when he was teaching us, but he had, as a very young man, 1920s had been in the middle of that great revival that broke out in Wales. And people like that that poured themselves into me you're a recipient of, even here this morning, if you're just visiting for the first time, because they were faithful to do what the people that had taught them and all the way back to Jesus. And we're studying what Jesus taught because we have the privilege of Paul's very words, the words that he wrote to Timothy. So here's this succession of the message. Now, some denominations, I grew up in a church that taught apostolic 
succession, that you could look at each man that came from a certain apostle and worked their way all the way up to somebody today. I don't believe you can prove that. In fact, I'm quite sure you can if you look at history. However, there is a different kind of succession, and it is demonstrated in the terms of message that is preached. You are hearing, to the best of my ability, the message that Jesus taught, that Paul learned being with Jesus in Saudi Arabia for 14 years, and then he brought it to these young men, particularly Timothy, we'll see Titus, another young man, the next book we're coming to. And so we're just part of a long string of truth, and that's why we study the Word. It's not my opinion, it's what God has recorded for us. And you check out everything I say, and if it's not quite right, you come and tell me, and many of you are very qualified to do that. I've heard from a lot of you. Thank you for that. There's a faithfulness here for the people that you share it with. Not clever, not orators, not people with natural ability to lead, not the most intelligent, but in fact, those who will be trustworthy, faithful. When we're gone, they'll continue on. Someone said that we're only one generation from the gospel failing. If you don't share it, I don't share it, then it won't go on. Of course, the Holy Spirit is making sure that it goes on. I was reading about one of those this week. Peter Kennedy wrote of, of a doctor missionary, a major general in the British Army at the end of World War II, went back to the area that he had been serving in North Africa. His name was Dr. Kenneth Frazier, a teacher, a pastor, a medical doctor, decorated soldier, and he decided to become a missionary as he had retired from the British military. So he chose a, a people called the Moru people. You don't know that name, but you know where they are. They're in the Sudan, and he went there in 1920, and he began to standardize medicine in southern Sudan. And he began to set up dispensaries, little first aid stations, every 15 miles across the Sudan in the south. He put a dispensary that was also a church, that was also a place for people to come to sleep, and it impacted several generations. He established schools and churches all over Mori land, 15 miles apart, centers and dispensaries. These centers served the hospital at Luai. The doctor also organized leper colonies in the area and a university. Because he endured the hardships of Sudan today, there are over 300,000 Moru Christians. Many believers are a result of the foundations laid by Dr. Fraser, and will tell you so if you ask them. They have remained steadfast Christians, even under persecution by the Muslim government of the Sudan. So you never know when you're planting seeds how it might impact future generations. Almost a hundred years later, there are a third of a million Christians in the Sudan, and you hear about them all the time, because one man went with his wife and shared the gospel. So, he's a good steward. Child of God, second verse, a steward, three and four, a soldier. Today on Grow in Grace, we brought you a portion of Pastor Ed's study in First and Second Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. 
and look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your